if we're talking about Smash, that came out at a time when we could push the envelope and we could say these lines without being reprimanded or without feeling as if we weren't offending anybody. We were, but it wasn't so blatantly disrespectful where... Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime and Academia episode ad-free? Head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room to listen to all of our podcast episodes without any ads. You get access to our video episodes, our bonus episodes, and even more exclusive content, including merchandise. It only starts at $5 a month, so head on over to our Patreon. Again, it's patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. And while you're at it, you know what would be such a help is if you could rate and review the ivory tower boiler room on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and make sure that you follow us and share out our podcast to all of your friends. It truly does help. And I want to thank you all. It means so much that you're listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Just a brief message before what I know you all are going to absolutely love as an episode today. I have such a great guest. There are two book clubs going on during this spooky season. Happy spooky season, everyone. I am hosting the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Book Club. We are reading Parachute Women by Elizabeth Winder. It is all about the women behind the Rolling Stones and even the invention of rock and roll's success. And then Mary DePippi, the host of True Crime and Academia, is reading Haunted, Asylums, Prisons, and Sanatoriums by Jamie Davis. So to join both book clubs, you just have to go to patreon.com backslash ivory tower boiler room. It's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash ivory tower boiler room. Each book club has its own membership level, so each is $4. If you want to join both book clubs, then join the ITBR professor level instead of like joining each book club separately because for $10 a month, not only do you get both book clubs, you also get all of our bonus audio and video episodes and also our entire video and audio episode catalog, including this episode, ad-free. So can't wait to see you all. The deadline to join both book clubs is October 20th. That's because Mary and myself, we have to just make sure that we coordinate the private Zoom a session that we'll have with all our book club members. So I can't wait to see who's in the book club and get your hands on Parachute Women and Haunted um, for our book clubs. And then also, I'm now offering consulting. So everyone out there, if you know someone who has college admission essay questions, they're not sure where to start with the undergraduate college process, they have financial questions about college, I was lucky enough and had a lot of financial conversations about um, loans and I actually don't didn't have any loans from my college experience and I was able to get scholarships so I can help you with that. I can help with graduate school questions, um, graduate school thesis editing, dissertation editing, 
uh, podcast questions, help with your podcast, starting a podcast, social media branding questions. I'm here for your services. So my initial consultation fee is only $30 and it's a one hour Zoom. So head to patreon.com backslash ivory tower boiler room and you'll see that consultation option. Okay, without further ado, here is today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and welcome to our first ever ITBR Rewatches Smash, the NBC TV show. I'm really excited because I'm hosting the Queer as Folk one, and I had Christian Garcia on the premiere episode of Queer as Folk, but I'm handing the reins to him with Smash. I will be on as many of these episodes as possible because I love a an excuse to rewatch this iconic Broadway musical TV show. Uh, so Christian Garcia is hosting Smash, the rewatch show. So I want to, you know, bring you on, Christian, and just, you know, share your enthusiasm and excitement for this new series. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for allowing me to take the reins on this one for, for a few minutes of your, for, for a few seconds. Um, yes, this show has meant so much to me and I cannot wait to discuss this with you and as many, as many other guests as we can possibly get. I'm so excited. I'm so thrilled to be doing this and thank you for this amazing opportunity. And thank you for being a part of this. Of course. So, you know, why did you want to rewatch Smash? Like what was the impetus? You know, this just happened to me over the course of like a millisecond. I was just thinking about the show and I said to myself, I said, there's not a lot of Smash rewatch podcasts. Mm -hmm. Moreover, there's no podcast about the show Smash. So I said, you know what? What if I brought this over to Andrew? What, what would he say? And thankfully you were so enthusiastic and you've gotten me in touch with so many great and wonderful people so far. And I cannot wait for the continued contributions of many other people and I just can't wait to get this ball rolling and to have you on as the first guest is amazing. Well, I'm so honored. And <laughs> I think before we even dig into smash, so it came out in 2012. Yes. February. So 2012, I was, month. Oh, okay. <laughs> Your birthday's in February. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations <laughs> for a very early birthday here, Christian. Yeah. Uh, so, it came out in the, so it came out in the winter time yes. and 2012, I was an undergrad um, because I, was a I graduated in high school. Okay. So you were a senior. <laughs> I was in my, um, yeah, had just finished my first year in college and then, okay, that makes sense. Cause I graduated in 2014, but I did college in three years. Um, but that's for another discussion. So I do remember when Smash came out because I did watch it. So did you watch it when it premiered? I did. I remember recording every single one of them. I, I think we either had TV or we had uh, another cable box. And I just remember or Verizon. And I just remembered recording each and every episode and just watching them and then rewatching them for the, the same episode for like, getting myself ready for the next week's episode and just being enthralled by this show. This was like my adult glee TV show growing up. 
<laughs> yeah. So it's almost into 12 years. In this yeah. this February, it'll be 12 years. Yes. Um, Can you believe it? Yeah, but I feel like it's very different than Queer as Folk in the sense that it's pretty distantly connected to us still that, you know, Queer as Folk is 23 years. Yep. Um, so like the way that technology is hasn't changed too much since Smash. I mean, they have headphones. Now we have like wireless headphones, but things are pretty much the fabric is similar. Um, what I do want to ask you right away is how much do you know about the backstory of Smash? Like how this came to be? I, if I could speak honestly, I don't know that much about the backstory of the whole show entirely. Um, I just remember just loving the show and not really thinking about the behind the scenes workings of the making of this show in general but it's something that i'd really love to discuss as well and research yeah so i feel like every time that you know you have a guest on or i'm here everyone's going to be bringing their own knowledge and yes i'll tease for you all out there i'm connected with um so many past guests on ivory tower boiler room who have been interviewed who are in the broadway industry christian's gonna have them on our favorite Elizabeth Winder, Marilyn Monroe expert, she'll be on. Um, so this is a Marilyn Monroe extravaganza. Um, if you don't know, that's the musical that they're putting on is this new production of Marilyn Monroe. But there is a little backstory. I just wanted to mention this because as I was researching, knowing that I was going to be with you on this premiere episode, there's this behind the scenes uh, sneak peek when you go on to watch smash uh christian sent me the uh free version i think we can say on fandango's voodoo it's yes. like they're it's all out there for free so everyone can watch it along with us for free but there is a behind the scenes preview that's seven minutes and i forgot that or maybe i didn't even know that steven spielberg executive produced this i did not know that either when you sent me that video, I was just very amazed. And I guess that's kind of what makes this show timeless is that Steven Spielberg, who basically directed our childhood mm -hmm. in a way, he was a part of the show. And it, I, I believe that's one of the reasons why I think now it's so timeless. And that's why I think it's a really good time to just revisit it. And But please continue yeah. on. No, and it's also based on a novel by Garson Kanan called Smash. That's oh. what I didn't know. This is actually from like a 1970s novel, the premise, except the novels about um, the author was in the production team of Funny Girl with Barbara Streisand. So in the 1960s. So he writes this novel called Smash about a vaudeville singer. I haven't read the novel yet. I am getting my hands on it. It's hard to find, but I think I can get it through my library. Uh, through other Long Island libraries. And the the um, connection, it's not that they're putting on a Marilyn Monroe musical, but they're putting on this new production and it's all the behind the scenes of Broadway and the cat fights, the gossip, the um, hitting people against each other, the lyricist team with a composer. So those characters are where they draw inspiration from. It's just the backstage musical aspect. 
Yeah. So Smash is the novel. If anyone out there wants to read it. I'm going to try to get my hands on that too. I never knew that that was a novel in itself. Yeah. So what, like right away, we have our pilot and it's just called the pilot episode. Yep. Um. So, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but what made Smash so iconic, in my opinion, and what makes it still so iconic is it's the first TV show or really film. I mean, it's not a film, but I haven't really seen another film or TV show that really delves in the behind the scenes of Broadway and how to put on a production. Mm-hmm. You know, like we get that about Hollywood all the time. There's a lot of like the behind the scenes of making a movie. Like La La Land is a good example. I mean, yes. <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I could probably list a litany right now for everyone. But in terms of Broadway, there really isn't that much TV and film representation about the behind the scenes. There's not. I mean, you get a lot of like Broadway.com. They do these blogs from, I, I, I've seen a few past um, from Wicked or Rogers and Hammerstein, Cinderella when Laura Osnes did like a behind the scenes vlog, which I, which I love to revisit from time and time again, because it just, it immerses me into that Broadway world and smash also does that as well. It, but it does that in a much more visceral way and it does it in a much more eye pleasing way where you're in the city and you feel like you're there with these characters. And that is what I think is, the basis of the show is to just show you what it can be like to work in a behind the scenes, show you what a workshop looks like, show you what, what the producers have to deal with, how, how it's a man, how to direct a show, how to get a director, how to get a producer to be a part of the show. Yeah. It's just all those. And that, that's what I love about this show is that it yeah, shows you, need you the behind the scenes aspects. You need the Angelica Houston character who's a oh, financial boy. investor. And you, you need wig. many it financial. Me of the grand high witch wig that she's that she's sporting. No, I know. I was like, she basically is reprising her grand high witch role before the Broadway stage. It's, I love Angelica Houston. Um, I do but, too. <laughs> and I think though Smash definitely speaks to fame, the movie. And then fame was a really popular 1980s TV show with Debbie Allen. And like, that's how Debbie Allen really became known. Um, And after fame though, like Smash to me is also in line with Center Stage, what Center Stage did for the ballet community. That's a big ballet movie. Um, They're all at um, basically American Ballet Theater, but they don't call it the American Ballet Theater. and they're all uh, teenagers who are training. And so it has that similar New York City feel. But okay, so th- what I love is Christian Borrell says in the sneak peek that all of the drama is happening behind the curtain. Like, again, do you, I always say when I teach the Broadway musical, I love backstage musicals or backstage meta like the world within the world. So dream girls, chorus line. I mean, a chorus line is the number one that comes to, I think really ignited backstage musicals. Um, You know, we also have noises off as a play. I really like that. Um, I just like when the actors peel back their layers and you see um, them putting on the production. Kiss Me Kate does that. Um, Yeah, there's so many, but you know, what did you think, Christian, of just rewatching the pilot? 
your like first impressions? When I rewatched it, I felt like I was in a time capsule because not that many shows actually are able to to feel as if they're in a certain time. Mm -hmm. And nowadays it's all very COVID-esque and it's very political. And with this show, it just, it brings you back to a time when those things were non-existent. And I think it's one of the reasons why I, I enjoyed it so much while, while rewatching it. It just, it brought me back to a time where I didn't have a care in the world. Of course, college was on the pier of my horizons, but um, it made me wonder why couldn't we stay in those times? Why could we stay in 2012? <laughs> Do you mean in terms of optimism and nostalgia? Yes. No. yes. Yeah. It just, it felt nostalgic to go back in that time because not a, like there were many stores that were around the city that aren't around anymore. And there, it was just, it brought me back to a time when it was, when it was just, everything was just so easily accessible. It still is, but there was just even more calmer, if that makes any sense. Yeah. There was less noise of, yes. Uh, Poacher Wars, and mm -hmm. you're talking about the pre-Trumpian yes. era. Yes, um, can we go back to those times? Without <laughs> so much volatility. I know, I, I I know what you mean. It's why I love re-watching these shows, but Smash also does a lot in terms of, I thought, re-watching the pilot of cutting edge, like the um, like praying of, the director wanting to sleep with the leading lady and oh, yes. what you'll do to get to the top. And there's like uh -huh. some uh, offhand, off color jokes that are made like about mm -hmm. a transgender community, actually. Like, oh, remember, right. there's a line that Christian Borrell's character says about um, did this certain person. Oh, did the director um, have a sex change or not? Because even if they did, that person is still, he's still an asshole. Or, <laughs> it was just like, but it was interesting how they're taking chances like that. Yes. And the Deborah Messing character, she does say like, hey, that's not, you know, stop it. Um, <laughs> but I feel like now in our culture, it's why I do have an issue with a lot of TV right now is they won't even have that, like those lines, um, where someone pushes the envelope, even though in every day people do make off hand comments that are disrespectful. And mm -hmm. I feel like we do have to still represent reality. And that doesn't mean that the actor or the creative team is behind biases and prejudice. Right. Like, that's why to me, Sex in the City, like they did a lot of risque things that they just, did. And just like that, I feel like they're trying to over-censor what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And it makes for a very different, I think the audience, we know, like you said, you know when someone is trying to get a political point across now. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a different type of TV show, in my opinion. Yep. Yeah. I but, agree with okay. you 100%. Sex and the City had this sort of, easiness breeziness about it whereas nowadays with then just like that it's just it's so very one note mm -hmm. it's it seems like whereas if we're talking about smash that came out at a time when 
we could push the envelope and we could say these lines without being reprimanded or without feeling as if we weren't offending anybody. We were, but it wasn't so blatantly disrespectful where you'd have letters pouring in <laughs> demanding representation. Well, and we also didn't have the social media machine. No. And I think that's really changed even our saturation level for certain material. Like that's why I say anyone who has to make a film or TV show or Broadway musical right now, right? They have a lot that they have to compete in terms of the consumer's attention. Like right. to push the envelope, people, we've seen it all really. So it's kind of very difficult to try to shock people now. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm so excited to shout out the Gay and Lesbian Review, who is helping to sponsor the ITBR podcast. For all of you out there, the Gay and Lesbian Review is a bi-monthly magazine where you can discover new things about gay and lesbian literature, history, and culture. And the GL Review publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features, such as artist profiles and their popular art memo column. Each issue of the magazine brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme. For example, their September-October issue centers on the theme, Cracking the Closet. So, starting the 19th century, a number of artists and writers found ways to crack the closet by expressing their sexuality between the lines or in the interstices of their work. For example, Ignacio Darnad, who is a friend of the ITBR podcast, he's been on our show, writes all about illustrator J.C. Leyendecker, whose work for Ivory Soap and Arrow Collars gave him plenty of opportunities to draw pictures of well-dressed and at times scantily dressed American men. And you also can find an article by Vernon Rosario, who has been on the podcast, and he talks about the quest for sex in the Middle Ages. So to subscribe, visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Click subscribe. So on their website, go all the way over to the right-hand side, and you'll see the button subscribe. Click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR50 because you're getting 50% off your subscription to the print or digital edition of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine. I can't wait for you all to have your copy of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine and make sure that you take a picture when your magazine arrives or when you're reading it online and tag the GL Review on Instagram and ITBR and we'll share it out in our stories. Enjoy your reading, everyone. Um, so, okay. So Smash, what did you think about, um, like walking through the episode with everyone? Mm -hmm. So, right. I forgot that we saw Karen. So Karen is Catherine McPhee's character and yep. Ivy is Megan Hilty that we see yep. them in the same audition in the first scene. I don't, I didn't remember that opening. I didn't either. But the yeah. fact that she, that Catherine McPhee chose to sing over the rainbow was a mm. choice. Yes. But it was um probably not a good audition song ever. <laughs> but probably, yeah, unless it's the Wizard not. of Oz. 
unless <laughs> um but what i love about this is that um the whole compass of the show is that we're we're looking at an artist through through a director's eyes so whatever um like say that uh, in the opening in the opening scene when we see uh Catherine McPhee's Karen Cartwright uh performing her audition piece we see probably her own vision of how she would perform that song and that's what I love about it is that we're able to just get into the minds of these characters and just see how they interpret these these performances yeah and for everyone who I always say as a loyal Ivory Tower Boiler Room subscriber on Patreon, you can actually see Christian and I have smash artwork. He has the bombshell Marilyn Monroe and I have I the do. smash cast. <laughs> um, so behind me is Catherine McPhee. Sorry, Catherine, my uh, head is covering you. But, uh, and then Megan Hilty's over one shoulder. Um, so we have two very, we have foils of each other. Karen and yep. Ivy are definitely foils. Karen is Midwestern from Indiana. Ivy, they don't specify, but she doesn't seem like she's from the Midwest. She seems like she could be from the Northeast or the New mm -hmm. Jersey, New York. Like she knows the culture of theater. Um, and I really thought that that means this foiling, these two women um, being different, different uh sides of the coin it's so important because it becomes the whole metaphor for Marilyn's life like the yep. Norma Jean Karen and um the Marilyn Monroe Ivy like yep. these how this Marilyn Monroe story is so hard to tell because she's always had a different persona like she was always part of some kind of artificial uh, facade, like how she was going to present herself, even though her authenticity is not at all like what a consumer sees in the press. So, and they get into that right away. I, I loved how quickly the episode as a pilot, it was one of my favorite pilot episodes. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah, that yeah, many yeah. pilot episodes can just go off with the hit or a bang or a smash <laughs> so will um yeah. yeah so you know what do you think of the um uh characters that were introduced to right away like right who away were, right away yeah go ahead to yeah. ivy and karen two like you said two very different sides of the same coin and then right after i believe we're introduced to deborah messing and christian borrell yeah, and I should um, say Deborah is Julia Houston. Yep. Oh, that's funny. Ah. Okay, Angelica Houston, Julia Houston, Jack <laughs> De Devonport. Um, oh, is the director? Okay, but yes, we'll get to him. But his the, his name as the director is Derek Willis, and Christian Burrell is Tom Levitt. There you go. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Then of course we have Ellis, that little skeeving little. Oh, the assistant. The assistant. Mm -hmm. I hate him. <laughs> Sorry. Had to get that out there because we're you're gonna hear a lot of that word with me and Ellis because I don't I I forgot how much I hated that character <laughs> <laughs> and I forgot that there were that there were those types of characters in a TV show that there's always that one character that's always conniving that's always trying to be sneaky about his or her intentions and it's oh yeah 
I forgot that those characters existed. <laughs> well, and those characters are so real. I mean, in the acting industry, there's oh, yes, always I someone who's manipula manipulating. And... and I'm sure you've met a few of those Ellis's yourself. Yeah. Oh, well, I should say to everyone, that's right. I mean, I <laughs> have a musical theater background and was um, in regional productions in high school. Um, I was even in all shook up and got paid in like, I think it was 25 performances. So I was going to major in musical theater, um, but I've taught the Broadway musical now as a professor. So, you know, I'm making my loop. I'm actually thinking of auditioning again for theater and making my return. <laughs> Even though Norma Jean in Sunset Boulevard says it's not a return. I forget her actual line, but she doesn't like the word return. Um, because it's not as if she's disappeared. Um, and I feel the same way. I've always been acting. But, oh, yes. I mean, I've met a lot of doozies of um, not just the actors, the production team. I met, um, I had one show. Well, I was in a show with, um, I can mention her because she's an amazing director and choreographer, Renee Lisiaga, who's actually been on this podcast. She directed me in Smokey Joe's Cafe and uh, Godspell with main stage, which was my South Jersey theater summer camp, but they're also a professional um, arts. Uh, they do acting, singing, dancing lessons, um, and they also do um, local regional productions. So I want to shout out to them because they're just incredible. And that's how I met Mary Christian. So in main stage, but Renee is the utmost professional. She like toured Andrew Lloyd Webber's Starlight Express in Germany. She like was in all of these Wanted Street Theater, which is a huge theater in Philadelphia performances. She like, I think was on Broadway as a standby. I forget Renee, but correct me if I'm wrong, if you're you know listening, Renee, but she has so much experience and she was always so professional. And then I had this other director who shall be nameless, who like wanted to, be everyone's buddy buddy he like I was underage or maybe 17 and he like invited me out to a bar and I'm like no I'm good it was very inappropriate behavior so I've seen the inappropriate but then those who are in my opinion like Renee who've had the industrial experience of professional theater and especially touring and Broadway you know show up on time take notes like there's certain etiquette so it's that, but it is interesting to see Ellis to me, he's trying to really climb his way to the top. You can tell. And he also claims he will continue to claim that Marilyn Monroe was his idea. Mm. When, when he said, Oh, look, there's a Marilyn Monroe book. You like Marilyn Monroe? Oh, that should be a, that could make a good musical. And they said, tried it flop. You know? <laughs> yeah. But right. That's a real sticking point for people in the artistic world that, who comes up with the origin story? And usually it's never one person. Like it's like podcasting. I always say there is never one. We're all borrowing ideas from each other. Like you're never going to do it the same way as someone else. Because yeah. some people get really territorial and I just let that energy go. <laughs> like don't be territorial unless someone takes your name. That's mm -hmm. different. Um you know, mine is a small business, so you're actually 
legally you would be held responsible by me. Uh, and trust me, I'm ready if I'd have to enact a lawyer. But if someone wants to like do another smash discussion, that's their artistic right. I mean, it's a community. I think creating a musical, it's a team. It's not one person. But there's always going to be someone who thinks it's only their idea. Yep. Or use that in a way to try to uh, have a payday. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> manipulation. Okay. So do you want to talk about the direct or the lyric? Actually, maybe Deborah Messing and Christian Borrell, their lyric and um, lyricist composer relationship. Because I love how they show this on the show. I love it. It's like if Will and Grace were musical producers or musicalists. And that's what I see. It's just that's Grace as if she was a lyricist and and Will is the Christian Borrell character who does the 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 music. So it was just it was, I love their relationship. It was so very like push and shove and you'd have uh Deborah not really wanting to go along because at this time she's actually filing for um adoption at this time and she wanted to take a little bit of time off but you know once once she gets an idea in her head it just she goes with it um meanwhile you have christian boyle's character who just who wants to flirt with ellis not even sure if he's gay or not you know <laughs> um but their yeah. relationship is just so charismatic and it's so flowing with each other and that's what makes them that would that's what would make them a good team together and that's why I guess they would work so well together and it feels so humanistic because there is that impropriety there is that blurring of boundaries that you so see in academia theater any any industry with a lot of creative people, in my opinion, there also can be ethical blurring of boundaries because of passion projects. And with Ellis, with his assistant, um, we have Tom Levitt. Tom shouldn't be trying to fool around with his assistant. That's not <laughs> ethical, but he's going to try it anyway. So uh -huh. I feel like that's that's the reality of, that I love of this series is, you know, this is wrong, but uh, the questionable behavior is what makes it realistic. And you're going to get a lot of questionable behavior, just so you know, just as a spoiler, there's going to be a lot of questions. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's just show. say um, <laughs> our director, Derek, will have his moments and already oh, does yes. have a moment in the pilot. I mean, so, I wouldn't kick him out of bed either. Just saying. You know. <laughs> well, so how do you, what do you think of, I think they've been around as lyricist and composer as it's as a team Yep. for what, like 15 years. I'll, they have a lot of productions under their belt. They do. And they, they and their fictional characters, they just did heaven on earth. Um, yes. That Broadway show that Megan Hilty is a part of in the ensemble. Yes, yes. And it's like now going to be in the West End and it's so yep. successful. So they have financial backing behind them. It's not like they're down on their luck, a down on their luck songwriting team, um, you know, but it reminds me, though, of so many realistic relationships. Um, I think ex especially because they are a male and female. I like that dynamic. A lot of the times, nothing against it. 
but you get a lot of male male songwriting um composer lyricist teams i mean we could name off richard rogers and um oscar hammerstein interestingly stephen soundtime was usually solo um yeah. so that's a rarity uh, and then you have Ellen Macon and and Howard Ashman. Yes. Um, but there is a female and male notable songwriting team. The ones who did Once on this Island. Um, we have, oh my goodness, I should have. Oh, Aaron's and Flattery. Um, oh. Lynn Aaron's and Stephen Flar Flaherty. Stephen Flaherty? Stephen Flaherty. Yeah, so book and... Uh, lyrics always by Lynn Aarons and music by Stephen Flaherty. Uh, so there you go. Just if you wanted to know if there is a male and female songwriting team out there for Broadway. Wow. Um, they're the very well-known ones. Um, Ragtime, they did that as well. Uh, but we have a songwriting team here who's creating all the smash music. Shout out to Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, who also did yes. Hairspray, um, Cry Baby the Musical. Oh, they just did Some Like It Hot. Yeah, uh, they're in. A, I love their collaboration together. But okay, so yeah, that was me just fanning out. Um, do you want to hit the songs that we get in the pilot, or do you want to hit the questionable behavior with the director? <laughs> we can get into that a little bit later, but we can get into the songs about those are those are the amazing. Though I think those musical numbers are just amazing to watch, and they just transport you. Yeah. Yes. And there so are which songs do we here. get, Christian? Well, right now, in this first episode, we have a few. They discussed the baseball number. And they also discuss... Um, which, one you, which one was the other one? Completely... Well, they discussed... Yeah, so the baseball number is the national pastime. Yes. And then they have uh, Let Me Be Your Star. Yes, at the, at the very end. we I cannot wait to discuss that. That's, oh, Never oh. Give All the Heart. That's the other oh, one. Oh, yes. That's the one that about... That was the leaked... The, the leaked recording. That... Oh, yes. Leaked by Alice's mom, apparently. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Wink, wink. <laughs> um, so Never Give All the Heart. Um, or maybe we should do it by Marilyn's... How it fits into Marilyn's life, right? So... Ooh. The national pastime is representing that's the first song they're going to use for the backers, the producers. Like yep. anytime there's a Broadway musical, you have to have an industry reading. And guess what? Smash just had an industry reading with producers. So this is this is before a workshop. Like, right. This is before you put the cast together. Who's going to be on Broadway. You need to get your financial investors. So usually they'll have like two or three songs, just like, this is sometimes they do the whole show. They did that for Carrie, but actually, I think the workshop was their financial backing. Sometimes that happens too. Um, so, national pastime is um, when Marilyn is marrying Joe DiMaggio because he's a baseball yep. player. Um, Never give all the heart represents Marilyn's reading ver uh, veracity. She's such a well-read person. She, yes. She's quoting W. H. Auden's poem i think wait yes i think so um after no 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 sorry not wh auden he's a no the um irish poet um it'll come to me do you remember christian i do not oh my god 
Done. Wait, as the wise man once sa said, that's the beginning of the song. Um, never give all the heart. Oh, William Butler Yeats. Oh. Yeah, I should know that. I love William Butler Yeats's poetry. Um, he has a really good poem from the Greek myth, uh, Leda and the Swan. But, um, okay, so that represents Marilyn's Yeats's love of poetry. Yes. Um, but again, her complicated attitude towards men. Um, and then, yeah, where do you think Let Me Be Your Star fits into Marilyn's life? Because that, I feel, kind of is the puzzle in all of this. I would say maybe that would be in the 50s when she's starring in all these roles. Like, let's say, How to Marry a Millionaire, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Some Like It Hot, all those star vehicle films. I think that's probably where that would that would go. Probably before she starred in those films. So that would give her like a little oomph. Yeah. And I just love Let Me Be Your Star. I feel I do. Um, I know we're jumping to the end, but I think it like just frames <laughs> it frames the whole series that um, it was kind of like with Queer as Folk. We thought Brian and Justin looking the first time frames the whole series. I feel like Let Me Be Your Star just gives us um, it gives us the context and um, it acts as a frame narrative. It does. Um, but fade in on a girl with a hunger for fame and a face and a name to remember. Oh, this is Karen's part. The past fades away because as of this day, Norma Jean's gone. She's moving on. I just think that that works so well because yep. Karen is also shedding her Indiana life and trying mm -hmm. to really um, propel herself into Broadway. And speaking Fame. of her Indiana life, you you saw that we got introduced to her parents and her fiance. Oh yeah, played by Raza Jeffrey, who was gorgeous in every single way possible. Uh, <laughs> and then we also saw like the, that classic parent trope of not believing that their kid is going to succeed in the industry that is Broadway or the industry that is show. And it just mm -hmm. it still gets me where there are still those types of helicopter parents that still believe that just because they're, they're, um, their kid or, you know, child has starred in a Broadway show that they're not going to make it. That it's still that just because they did like these off Broadway shows that it's not worth it, that it's not that they need to start thinking realistically. And I wonder if you ever experienced that or if you've known anyone else who's experienced those types of parents who still don't, you know. Yeah, well, I think that a lot of me even doing this episode with you and having my show and my business is testament to having support from my family of being a creative because so many who don't have that support, they either have to go against their parents' wishes and just, you know, um, throw hell to the wind. Is that the saying, I think? Um, and they either do that and turn their back on their parents or 
they go into a different job and they're so regretful. Um, I've seen a lot of people abandon their dreams, whether it be in as writers, as artists, performers. Artists, I feel there's a lot, unfortunately, who've abandoned. They've left what they love because society has dictated that arts and culture is somehow not as valuable, even though everyone turns to it when they need something to do in their free time. You know what I'm saying? It's like the most in value, in my opinion, because everyone looks to the arts and culture to fulfill their dreams and passions. So, you know, just putting that out there, every industry is important, in my opinion, but you have to do what you're passionate about. Um, but no, my parents have been very passionate, which is why I can, you know, now be here. Um, so, yeah, but I'm so glad you brought the parents up. Um, Are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> Sorry, I had to, everyone. It's Dr. Andrew Rimby. Happy spooky season and gothic and horror. Just all the vibes. I am so excited to talk about Broadview Press, who you might know helps sponsor our podcast. They're an independent publisher in the humanities since 1985. Did you know they have so many horror novels that you need to get your hands on? They have Frankenstein, of course, by Mary Shelley. They have Dracula by Bram Stoker, one of my favorites. They have The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson, Edgar Allan Poe's Poetry and Tales. Oh, they just have so many gothic novels that you all need to soak your teeth into. Bob your teeth into <laughs> some kind of Halloween metaphor is appropriate there. They also have academic books like Dr. Jeffrey Andrew Weinstock's The Mad Scientist Guide to Composition. So if you're a writing professor out there, you need to get your hands on that. And they also have a gift package called Mystery Horror Sensation, which if you don't know what to choose, just choose the Mystery Horror Sensation gift package. Just a reminder, you get 20% off on broadviewpress.com, link in our show notes. Just use the code Ivory Tower, all lowercase. Ivory Tower, 20% off all your books on broadviewpress.com, all of them. I can't wait for you all to hear our next Broadview Press guest. It's coming in November. And definitely when you buy one of their horror or gothic novels, or books, just make sure you tag us on Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and tag them too at Broadview Press. I know they'll love to share it. Okay, everyone, be careful if you're reading in the dark. I don't want you to get too scared. Turn a light on. Bye, everyone. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Or have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie. In addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog. So you can see all of this on glreview.org. 
That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Remember, you get 50% off your subscription of the GL Review magazine when you use the promo code ITBR50. That's 50% off your print or digital subscription when you use promo code ITBR50. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, Visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of their homepage. And if you have any questions, email Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say. And then Ivy also doesn't have support when she her mom is on the phone with her. Like she says, I just got a call back for Marilyn Monroe. And her mom's like, oh, that's what is it? What's yeah, happening? She's like so dismissive of her. And it's and it's sad that that we believe that Ivy's this very up and happy go lucky character when she's dealing with these personal issues where her mother doesn't believe that she's good enough for for either a show or if she thinks that she's not valuable enough to to put in her time and it, you you get those those two sides of the same coin parents and it's sometimes it can be a little bit disheartening mm-hmm. and also it's sort of the price of the game that you play oh god now i'm now i'm rhyming <laughs> It's the price you pl- you pay. Exactly. I think actually that's a lyric and let me be your star. Right? I was like, wait. Because I love that section when star? it's, um, she'll have to pay, but not today. Yeah. Because um, it's so true that Marilyn sacrificed her health in terms yeah. of the fame that she does receive comes at a cost of how the public dictates who she is. And we see that's, so much with social media and celebrity mm-hmm. status that people think they know these public profile people and they don't give them the benefit of the doubt. That's why I'm always like, instead of wanting to attack someone for their opinion, like take a pause because you don't know how they're going to clear it up. Like you don't know where they were coming from. Again, there's like a degree of severity with what I'm saying. Um, but you know, if there's an allegation of an affair, let it fall off your back. First of all, that's not my business, so I don't really care, to be honest. If someone cheats on someone else, that's on them. Like, they have to work through that. Like, I'm not going to pass judgment. But I also don't feel like it's time-worthy. But speaking of affairs, though... uh, no, I did want to talk, though, about the family relationship, because like you talked about the parents, but I also think it's interesting that we get um, Julia's husband. Yes, um, played, played by Brian R.C. Uh, Brian R.C. D.R.C. James, yeah. Brian D.R.C. James, who, who played Shrek. Who's a, who's a very yeah. famous Broadway star in his own right as well. Yeah. Friends. I love how they cast a lot of Broadway actors in this show, and it just it shows how much of a community it is. And that's what it is. That's what Broadway is at its core, is a community. And whenever they meet someone, they're like, oh, we'll put Brian in there. We'll put Deborah in there. We'll put Megan Hilty, who I, you know? Yeah. Well, and Angelica Houston Angelica has Houston. a career on the stage. You know, yes. um, like anyone who was involved, well, Angelica's father 
John was Huston. a big time director. Yes. Yes, yes. In Hollywood. Um, so, and I think he might have been really close to Steven Spielberg. I'm not sure, but I'm assuming. Um, but what I think is wonderful is the film people, there used to be such a separation between film and Broadway. And I feel like though now it's very mixed together, in my opinion. I think it's changed since when Smash came out. Like, do you think that there's more back and forth between the film industry and the Broadway industry in terms of casting? I think, but at the same time, it's kind of that same trope with My Fair Lady when they had to choose someone, a big name to fill the role and they chose mm. Audrey Hepburn over Julie Andrews, which still, but anywho, we're not talking about that. Yeah. Um, Christian's, Christian's giving a look, everyone. No. Just for, since a lot of you are listening on audio. <laughs> but she that happens. Time. A, it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But then Julie Andrews, like she said in interviews, she wouldn't have been Mary Poppins. So exactly. exactly. Things all work out. Yes. Um, and then she also is in The Sound of Music. So she yeah. took Mary Martin's job from her. She did. Away from her, Mary Martin. Um, and then Deborah Kerr took Gertrude Lawrence's role in The King and I, but we're not going to talk about that because that's controversial now. <laughs> well, what I think is fascinating, though, is, um, and we'll have to end with this, Yes. You know, as we're wrapping up, we should definitely end with what your speculation about the Smash um, musical coming to Broadway, what you think is going to happen, because I'm just Ooh. curious. Um, but I mean, we've hit a lot of the bullet, like we've hit a lot of bullet points from the episode. Oh, but I just wanted to say the adoption story between oh, husband yes. and wife mm-hmm. um, with the Houston family, yes. not the Houston's Angelica not Houston, Houston, but this fictional Houston family <laughs> um, is... I thought it's so interesting how even when someone is so successful, like um, Julia Houston, uh, who is a lyricist, that her husband even questions her passion project. So like, yep. there's I feel like there's always questioning when you're an artist. It doesn't matter yep. how successful. Like Taylor Swift is questioned, you know, Beyonce is questioned. So it's just, but are you always questioning physicists? I just think it's a different scrutiny. Um, okay. So I think we should, I want to know, what do you think when Karen gets that late night message to come over to the director's place before the callback? Ooh. I was like, this is a HR violation in the works. Yes. And yes. <laughs> It was, it, it, oh goodness, try to quickly say what I think. Um, it's, it was very unorthodox and it was just so random, but also it just, it just smelled so suspicious to me mm-hmm. as to why Jack Davenport's character uh, wanted to have a late night audition for for Karen, was it just to get in her pants? Was it just to find out if she has the the guts to do this show? Either both when we when we see it's both of those same 
options. Or is it to see if she's going to put a line in the sand and reject him? And then, because mm-hmm. you can see after she rejects him, like for everyone out there, she sings happy birthday in the Marilyn voice. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, but then she's like, keep dreaming and then leaves. Because um, <laughs> he thinks that she's going to kiss him. But then he has this smile of glee on his face, almost like, I mean, people do say that men always want to chase. There's this very um, gendered, you could say it's sexist, but I do think there's some truth to it, which is Mm -hmm. men always want to chase. And then once they have what they want, they discard the love interest, which hopefully doesn't happen if you're in a long-term relationship. But I do think either now he's thinking, oh, I'm going to have to work harder to get her in my bed or I'm happy. She's not the sex kitten, Marilyn. Like she's Uh not that idea of Marilyn. She's this more, she's the raw organic Marilyn. She's the one who reads Yates and poetry. She's the intellectual. Cause he doesn't see that about Ivy. He sees Ivy as the bombastic, voluptuous Marilyn. I mean, she's even playing that up, Ivy. Yes. And we even see that in the, in the, let me be your star number at the very end of the show, which I want Megan Hilty stole. That's I'm just. Oh yeah. She has this beautiful first stole. She had the glamor white dress and, um, but Karen, you know, is in more of a Norma Jean pinup when Norma Jean was a model. When Marilyn yep. was a model. Did you notice that? You noticed that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, that looks like what Norma Jean modeled. Mm-hmm. Um, you and know, of course before she had, she had blonde hair. That she puts on just to give yeah, her a when she had, Yeah, when she had brown hair. Whereas um, you have Ivy who's done up with a lot of makeup and you have Karen who just, the only makeup that she has is that little mole that she put on the thing. And that's that's yeah. it. Of course, you have a little bit of eyeshadow and stuff, but you don't have, she doesn't have any lipstick on. And she yeah. just, she's so, just raw. I think this is our a good transition to our ending, which is, do you need why Marilyn's story has been so hard for people to put on, whether it be, I had Elizabeth, we talked about on the podcast here, everyone can listen to the Blonde movie, the novel by Joyce Carol Oates and how that became a film. I thought we really liked Anna de Armas's performance as Marilyn, but so many are challenged when they approach adapting Marilyn because of all her nuances. Like they try to put her in how the men saw her, like how Mm -hmm. her ex-husband saw her, not who she was. And do you need two women to be Marilyn? Like they're kind of here showing us in Smash, these two women, these actresses represent different, like we've said, sides of Marilyn's coin. Yep. You know, how would it be if it, there's only, let's just, spoiler alert, everyone, the two women last a long time in Smash, competing spoiler. for the role of Marilyn, but. Hi, did I mention that it's spooky season? This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and guess what? I have so many Halloween and fall designs and crafts in my apartment. And guess what? There is a person who's made me so many Halloween horror fall themed items. And her name is Mandy Bengal. She owns Mandy Made It, a craft crochet company. So 
Mandy talked to me and said, Andrew, I want everyone out there to know that if they mention ITBR and that they heard my ad, that I will give them a free ITBR t-shirt. So make sure you mention ITBR. An order from Mandy, crocheted pumpkins, that she actually is using cinnamon sticks as the stem, which is a brilliant idea. How cozy. And also filling the pumpkins with potpourri. I already want to wrap myself in a blanket. She has Halloween keychains, other Halloween crochet designs. So how can you reach out to her? Go to her Facebook or Instagram, at Mandy Made It. Reach out to her. She will ship items out to you. If you live in the South New Jersey, Philly area, she'll arrange to have you either pick it up or deliver it to you. So Mandy just makes such beautiful crocheted items. And I'm so happy that she supports the podcast. I've known Mandy since I was a child. We were in theater camp together. That's how I met Mary. So the three of us have known each other a long time. Okay, head over to Mandy Made It for your handmade crocheted items for this Halloween and fall. Imagine that you're riding the Turner Classic Movie Great Movie Ride in Hollywood Studios. It's in the 1990s. As you're journeying through the Great Movie Ride, you pass the Wizard of Oz, where all of a sudden you see the Wicked Witch of the West ascend into Munchkinland in a cloud of smoke and flames. Well, that's the memory I have with the Great Movie Ride in classic cinema when I was at Disney in the 1990s as a young boy. And ever since that, I was hooked on classic cinema. Well, my friend Christian Garcia, friend of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, has a podcast that you all are going to love. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema. And he looks at queer themes in classic cinema, like Vertigo, The Wizard of Oz, Sleeping Beauty, Mary Poppins, 101 Dalmatians, Hello Dolly. The list can go on and on and on. So follow him on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. You can listen to his podcast on Apple and Spotify. And he also is on the premiere episode of our Queer as Folk podcast, where I'm re-watching every episode of Queer as Folk from 2000. And the episodes come out bi-weekly. So make sure you listen to his episode with me. And he's launching a rewatch show of Smash, where they're putting on a Marilyn Monroe musical. So he's going to be joined by co-hosts, a lot who are in the Broadway and theater industry, and I'm going to be on his first episode. So without further ado, get listening to That Old Gay Classic Cinema. Enjoy. Do you think that th when they put this on Broadway with Smash, I heard it's going to be two hours-ish. Um, I've messaged Carrie Butler. Hi, Carrie. No, she's so, so sweet. Um, I love Carrie Butler. Always have loved her since. Um, so Air is this Spray. really happening? This, this. Yeah. This oh, no, it's going to be, it's in production. Broadway? Like they're starting oh. to put it in production. Oh. Okay. They're starting the workshop process. So oh. hopefully they've gotten the financial backing now. But Robin uh, Herter, uh, who was in Moulin Rouge, she was in Greece. I loved her. I didn't see it, but Robin, if she listens to this. I love her rendition as um, Marty. Yeah, Freddie My Love. She did the Freddie My Love part. Um, but they both were um, Karen and Ivy in this industry reading. So do you think it's just going to be 
it's not going to be all the complexity of the Smash TV show. Do you think it's just going to be them putting on Bombshell? Is what I imagine. Like, I think it is. Yeah. I think maybe they're going to X, um, X off maybe some of the the plot of the show, but they're gonna they're gonna keep. I think they might want to keep the. I I don't know what's happening, but I would imagine that they're gonna keep the heart of the show which would be really great for those diehard fans of the show. And the fantasy numbers. Like, exactly. I imagine- I really hope that they keep those because you can't you can't have Smash without those songs. You well, can't I think do that, it. I think they'll probably, I'm imagining that they're going to like show us the creation of how to put on Bombshell and like, it'll be like, let me be your star, but then you mm -hmm. also see it on the Broadway stage, like what it looks like in production. Like it'll like, be I could the see back them and like, forth. I could see them opening up like that with both of those women in like an acapella moment in the opening show. You have like a little bit of a, uh, of a, a light on them, but they're on two corners of the, of the stage, but they're both singing like, just like the opening lyrics of this, of the show. And then they go into the show. And then at the end, it's like a big number. Yeah. Because I wonder if they thought, I thought they were going to do Bombshell as its own musical. That would have been I won amazing. But I wonder if they thought, this is really hard to have one actress, like, to tell the whole story. And again, maybe I don't think there's anything wrong. What's wrong with having two actresses play Marilyn? I mean, like, are they going to do a Judy Garland when they did Me and My Shadows? They had Tammy Blanchard as young Judy, and then they had Judy Davis as older Judy. Just saying. Yeah, that it's hard to put. I feel like that's hard to pull off um, uh -huh. on stage <laughs> uh, or in film. Uh, I mean, they're doing it with the color purple brilliantly. I think I can't wait for the color purple movie. Oh my god! Oh uh, my goodness! I'm so I can't excited. Wait. Um, but yeah, okay. So as we wrap up, last yeah. thoughts like for our next, what's happening in the next episode? Like, what do you? What's your predictions here? What's going on? Well, obviously they're gonna start casting for the for the show to see, and also continue with Angelica Houston's character to see of the financial backing, and hopefully they're gonna go on with the workshop of the show and get rehearsals going and see how how it fares. Yeah, and um, I feel like the pilot though gives us so much. Like there's it does it feels so like a short many movie. layers. It feels like it a does. Short movie. But you can see how everything, every avenue is going to expand. I yes. feel like I'm like, okay, that's where this, we're going to get an arc here. You're going to get an arc there. They mm -hmm. do such a good job laying And they the all fold together perfectly. And that's what, that's what's really great about this pilot is that while you have each and every different plot A, plot B point, they all fold together magnificently and they all go together. Yeah. Yeah. Fellas, that's from National Pastime, everyone. I just love that song. And uh, wait, wait, we have to end, though, with the National Pastime, which is. Oh, no. Even though all these men are gyrating on Marilyn, these are oh, boy. the most Las Vegas. And I mean this, if Mark Shaman and Scott Women, anyone out there is listening, I mean this in the most complimentary way. They are the most showgirly baseball players I've ever seen in my life. Like, they should be an Elton John's concert like i could see them all yes. singing um you know elton john had that baseball outfit it looks exactly like that like when he was at the piano um 
it's just because they're not intimidating in my they're not supposed they're to not. be like they're just they're, they're not for supposed like to be eye candy yes yeah, they're, they're, candy. they're her show boys you know exactly she's, she's the they're her star. backup dancers exactly <laughs> she's Cher and they're just the dancers, the dancers. Um, but I just love that number and but again even though it's so raunchy in a way with all the puns it still shows her authenticity like it shows her smart her yes. smartness like she's very witty and we're going to continue to see this in every one of her numbers they're yes. so good at showing Marilyn's complexity in how she sings yes and what she sings about you know oh I love that number okay <laughs> okay on that note um do you want to tease Christian what we can expect with the next episode with the next episode, we have we have episode two, which is entitled The Callback. So we have Ivy and Karen. They jump through hoops for the brilliant but temperamental director, Derek, and they pursue their role. Uh, you have you still have Julia and Frank. Brian DeYesu James, frustrated by the red tape of an international op- adoption process. And Eileen fights to finance her new musical in the midst of an acrimonious divorce so we're gonna get to know we're gonna get to see more of her ex-husband and they're gonna get a lot of drinks thrown in your face so i hope she gets ready i just hope she gets the money that's all i hope we need this we need bombshell to happen christian Uh, we need it to happen can we manifest it can we i think we can manifest it i hope so and when smash comes to broadway which i've heard it might be as early as the spring, maybe what? we're uh, going. We're gonna, well, we're gonna, gonna go, Christian. We'll be there on the do, ground. We're doing it. That's there. it. We're gonna be first row. Let's we'll get it. We're gonna recreate. Let me be your star in Times Square. I love how they did that in Times Square. It was so good. Oh my god! Um, and the subway. And then wait, wait. We have to like. It was almost a Betty Davis. Um, and who were the two women who feud in that movie? Um. Joan Betty Crawford Davis. and Betty Davis. Yes. What is that film? <laughs> Baby Jean. Whatever happened to whatever happened to Baby Thank Jean. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, which I'll uh, be reviewing on my That Old Gay Classic Cinema podcast next yes, year. Christian has so. a podcast called That Old Gay Classic <laughs> Cinema. You better get that promotion out there. We, we're scheduled um, okay. to release Psycho in on Halloween. Yay! Okay. So soon, everyone, get ready to listen to Psycho on his podcast. Yes. Okay. So, um. Yeah, but they have this like moment of recognizing their rivalry, rivalry, and then they yeah. like turn their backs away from each other. I just love that moment. I love it. <laughs> ah, well, you know, hopefully everyone out there, you have lots of fun with balls and bats, and you have your own national pastime dance planned. Uh, oh my goodness! <laughs> well, thank you, Christian. I can't wait uh, for your next episode, and hopefully, you know, I'll see you all on Christian's next episode. Yes. Okay, bye everyone. Bye. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby. I want to thank you so much for listening to the ITBR and TCIA episodes. Make sure if you don't, follow, rate, and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure you follow ITBR on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and TCIA on TikTok and Instagram. 
at True Crime and Academia. Also, we have a brand new Patreon membership system. So I just want to explain it to you all quickly. So if you want to become an ITBR student, it is $5 a month. You get ad-free ITBR and TCIA episodes and video interviews. If you want to become an ITBR professor for $10 a month, you get all of those ad-free benefits, but you also get access to both the ITBR and TCIA book clubs. You can join both book clubs, get ad-free episodes, plus you're going to get all of our extra video episodes. So I am re-watching Queer as Folk. Christian Garcia from That Old Gay Classic Cinema is joining us, and he's re-watching Smash. Um, Mary is going to start to re-watch shows as well. You even get access to what I'm calling the ITBR teaches. So if I'm recapping a movie or a TV show, including Barbie, um, Halloween movies and horror films, you get access to that as well. And then I also am offering consultation services. So for $30, you get your first initial consultation with me. It's a one hour private Zoom. I will help create a, your podcast, your media brand. How do you navigate academia as an undergrad or a grad student? Do you need help with technology? It could be teaching tools, Spotify for podcasters, video editor so software. Do you want to expand your social media presence as an artist, writer, podcaster, or academic? Do you want help on how to create a public humanities identity like I've created for myself? So I now I'm offering that consultation service. You can find more info about it on Patreon. And you also can join our book clubs. If you want to just join the ITBR book club or the TCIA book club, you can do that for $4 a month. Patreon.com backslash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. That is P A T R E O N.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Thanks to the team, Mary DePippi, our chief contributor. And thank you to our two new interns from Stony Brook University, Jonathan and Sarah. Bye, everyone. Until next time.